0: We came for salvation, we came
1: for family, we came for all that's good, that's how we'll walk away. Aloha and welcome to the Layman's Layman's Lounge podcast, a ministry of thelaymanslounge.com, where we exist to bring everyday theology to encourage Christians for everyday life. I'm Jason Estopanol. I'm a business process analyst and a YWAMR in Kona, Hawaii. And on the other line is Tish Harrison Warren. Aloha, sister. Aloha. (laughs) She is a priest in the Anglican Church in North America, founding member of the Pelican Project, a monthly columnist with Christianity Today, and she's the writer in residence at Resurrection Anglican Church in Austin. She's headed back.
2: Yeah. I'm actually not there yet. We're moving in like 11 days. so
1: Get ready. Get ready, Austin. She's coming back. Um, Author of Liturgy of the Ordinary, Sacred Practices in Everyday Life, and then just recently released the book we're going to discuss today, which is called Prayer in the Night for Those Who Work or Watch or Weep. And that's IVP 2021. And as a side note, the good people at IVP are letting us give away two copies of the book. So if you want to, um, we'll give it away in one, give them away in one week. So just, you could leave a review about this podcast. You could even, um, you could talk trash on it or tickle our ears, whatever you want. Just make sure you, you tell us on Instagram or Facebook that you did the post and yeah. Okay, so in the book, um, you hearken back to it a, like a, a devastating time when you were in the hospital and you say, quote, they put in a line for a blood transfusion and told me to lay still. Then I yelled to Jonathan, your husband, um, Compline, I wanna pray Compline. And then you continue on, quote, it isn't normal even for me to loudly demand liturgical prayers in a crowded room in the midst of a crisis. But in that moment, I needed it as much as I needed the IV. So, end quote, I find this extremely encouraging because it sort of suggests that perhaps this prayer has previously yielded some sort of fruit or benefit in your life in such a way that in the midst of the chaos, you knew where to turn. So that said, what caused you to have confidence in this prayer in in that hour?
2: Yeah. Well, that particular moment, I mean, so, Uh, This was a moment where I was, I was in the mist. I, this is from the preface of my book. It's kind of the very, no, the prologue, I'm sorry, the prologue of my book, it's the first story that starts it out. And I'm in the hospital because I'm having a miscarriage. This was in 2017 and I'm hemorrhaging really intensely, have to have this surgery. Um, And it was awful. I mean, I just had a baby die and we didn't know what was going to happen and um it was scary and so in the middle of that i um i, I like honestly i surprised myself by asking for a compliment it wasn't like mm. there was no part of me that thought i need to do the holy and right thing in the situation cuz obviously like there's not a holy and right thing that's like there wasn't <laughs> There's no like Sunday school requirement of yeah. what you do in the emergency room. Um, so it wasn't so much like I decided, hey, I need to pray. And this was like, a wait, how should I pray? Okay, this is one way. It was not that rational. It was like this, it was like a desperate kind of like, it, it felt compulsive almost and and sort of desperate at least I don't know if compulsive is the right word but like organic is probably a better word it felt organic and impulsive like I need this right now Mm -hmm. and um without a lot of thought like it was it was it just welled up kind of this desire and it was completely because it was nighttime we were there late in the hospital and it was also just um Man, this had been a practice that I had done kind of on and off over the last few years. You know, like a few times a week, not every day, but several times a week would pray. And I just, at that moment, felt like I desperately wanted to notice God in the middle of this crisis. Like I desperately wanted the sense that this crisis isn't outside of God's mercy, Mm. um, that somehow God is in the middle of this mess. Like it was a mess, right? Like we were in the hospital. I was grieving the loss of my child. There was blood everywhere. Um, Not to be too graphic, but uh, there was blood everywhere. So it was like, like where is God in this moment? And I couldn't, I didn't want a theological answer. I didn't want a pep talk. I didn't want a sermon. I wanted like to reach out like a drowning man trying to find some sort of lifeline. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I couldn't do it on my own. Like I, that, that wasn't a moment where I could come up with words besides like help, which would have been fine. And we did pray those prayers of just help. I, I mean, I say that in the car ride over there. But um, I needed some kind of like proclamation of truth in that moment um, that wasn't just cerebral or wasn't just like here's a little Sunday school answer in the middle of this pain. I needed something that w- that I could f- that I could practice, right? That I could fall into. That I could do um, in a sense. And, um, that, at that point, I done Compline enough that I had most of it sort of memorized. So I didn't need to like, you know, <laughs> open a Bible or have like, I it was there. So I, I just, I just said like, Compline, can we just play, can we pray Compline? And, um, and so we did right there in the emergency room as I was bleeding. And I wasn't, again, like, at that, at that exact moment, I wasn't trying to do a holy thing. I wasn't trying to be an impressive Christian. I certainly didn't have in mind that I'd write a book. Um, it was just desperation. It was th- when you feel desperate, the things you turn to are the practices you've learned are the words you've learned, you know, the things that are like deeper than, um that are are sort of the deepest vocabulary of your heart. Does that make sense? You know, the songs and the, it's often the songs um, because that's kind of the poetry of our time that we have learned. But for me in this moment, it was the prayers of the church that was like, I don't know what else to do right now. I'm broken hearted. My body's broken. I don't know I don't know if, if I'm going to be okay. And I just know I need God and I don't know how to pray. So here's some words. It was like, it was that level.
1: Yeah. What, like what would have been sort of like the answer, if you will, to the prayer, would it have been like God removing the circumstance, working a miracle or giving you peace, feeling his tangible presence, like understanding the truth beyond the truth beyond the truth like what what would have been like oh yes you know
2: yeah well so part of the reason I think I prayed that prayer is I didn't know what the answer would be like I didn't know I didn't know I didn't know if God was going to heal me or not I didn't know if I would be okay or not I thought I would be okay chances were I would be okay but I didn't know and it was scary I didn't, I didn't know anything. I just, I guess the thing that I wanted was to know that this fits in the story of redemption, that this Mm -hmm. moment is part of that story somehow. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, if there's any, you know, if there's any um, answer I was looking for at that moment, I guess it was something like, peace but I'm afraid to say peace because people will think that I mean that I wanted to be like mellow or happy or like have some emotional experience which is not what I was talking I mean I wasn't going to be mellow and happy like I was I was like in this emergency situation I wanted a sense that this too was not beyond the power and goodness of God that like this, this wasn't surprising to God, this wasn't the world, the world as chaotic as it is. I guess, I guess this is what I was looking for. I was wanting to know what I say in the first chapter, like, is anyone seeing, like, is God seeing this? Is he noticing me? Is he seeing me in the midst of this? So I guess, um, I was looking for, help in my unbelief mm-hmm. like it, that prayer was an i believe help me help my unbelief prayer yeah. Yeah. Uh, Of i believe you're there but do you see this are, yeah. are you guarding this moment mm-hmm. so i was looking for something like peace but by peace i don't mean like you know that i was like the kind of peace that you know when you're like sitting on the back porch and chilling out and having a cup of tea or uh, whatever but um uh it i was looking for something real in that moment something just as real though invisible (laughs) as the blood in the room and as the chaos around me um and so yeah i was trying to reach for spiritual realities if if that makes sense yeah
1: thanks for talking about that stuff i don't know if it's still like hurts but thanks for thanks for sharing that um how would you say like most common folks most christians pray these days like and what are their expectations are and would you say they're like peppered with misguided expectations or or to like really get to the lived experience of most christians as they pray i think the the standard like launching point into prayer in the midst is in the midst of suffering and sickness and asking god to like heal people or remove the pain So we see prayers for healing and we see the miraculous in the gospels and acts. And so it makes sense why people would pray in in that manner. So anyways, yeah. How, how are your thoughts on like on on the way that most folks are praying right now? And that's, that is the one dimensional standard sort of default.
2: Yeah. It's hard for me to talk about most folks because obviously people pray really differently. Like, greek orthodox folks pray differently than like evangelicals but i'll talk about sort of like american evangelicals generally but i think um some of this is first of all i think it's great to pray for healing (laughs) it's great to pray for like whatever your test that you have or your you know job or so i'm all for that um i mean scripture is all for that scripture says like, present your request to the Lord because he cares for you. So I think that's great. But I also think that, um, so one thing I talk about in the book is, um, I don't think that from probably the majority of my Christian life until adulthood, at least like mid twenties that I knew there were like different ways to pray. Like for me, prayer was this one thing, which was like talking to God. Like, so me sharing my thoughts, desires, feelings with God, um, God help this day to be good, help me, whatever, pass this test, help me help my friend who's having surgery. And those are completely glorious and good and beautiful ways to pray. Mm-hmm. So I still pray that way. Nothing wrong with that, but um, I didn't realize like throughout church history and time, there's these different ways of prayer that <clears throat> prayer looks like a lot of things. It looks like we pray the Psalms. I mean, that's the most common way of prayer throughout church history is yeah. folks memorizing and praying the Psalms. We don't just read the Psalms or study the Psalms. We pray the Psalms. Um we, we pray, we receive prayers from the church. We receive other people's prayers that we can inhabit and use. We can pray in silence There can where we're not talking to God, which I never had a concept of. We can um, pray certain types of prayers, like prayers of indifference, which is like a prayer of surrender, or um, we can pray, um, we can pray, Pray through our bodies, right through, through embodied prayer. Things like kneeling, and so there's like all of these different modes of prayer, even even beyond what I know now. You know, there's Ignatian kind of forms of spirituality and prayer that I'm like really new to. Um, that's a Saint Ignatius was a um, Catholic. Um, um, saint and scholar that ended up starting the Jesuits if you've heard of them so um anyway the point is I had no idea I had no idea and and there's folks that pray through draw through writing through drawing through journaling there's like all different ways to pray Mm -hmm. that I um wasn't participating in that I I didn't know about right and so because of that my prayers tended to be mostly about results, like trying to get a certain result from God, right? Like trying to get healing or trying to get whatever I want prayer about, you know, like yeah. anything from, you know, really intense and important stuff. You know, I want my marriage to heal. I want this person not to die to like, Lord, can I get a good parking spot? Right. Like the, um, so it's all this sort of like external, But what prayer actually, I think, more importantly is, is this um, communion, it's this deep participation in the life of God that forms us and shapes us. And so, part of the value of entering into other people's prayers, whether it's Psalms or whether it's, you know, a third century prayer from saint chrysostom that we pray in the liturgy or um the prayer like in my book is framed around the prayers of compline one prayer in compline is that entering into those ways of prayer has kind has taught me how to pray in ways i would have never gotten to on my own like just here's an example i am almost never prayed for the for the governor like governing officials for politics I am cynical enough about it that it was really hard for me to even know how to pray for that beyond like help these people not be idiots like just something that like
0: totally.
2: <laughs> um, and I also just didn't think about it like i literally i just like never would think about it because I would pray for stuff in my own life right my own kids or and so entering, Going by liturgical prayer, which is a, walking through a prayer service in the Book of Common Prayer. I'm an Anglican, so um, there is this time where, like, and and we do this every Sunday. We pray for our governing officials, whoever they are, Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter. We pray for them. We pray for them by name. We pray for justice and peace. Um, we pray these very specific things that that our nation would be a nation of justice and peace. We pray for. Um, like the president, the governor, the mayor, by name, and so it's it's ended up forming me, like forming my forming me as a person, but also then going back into my own prayers, shaping them, shaping the way I pray. Um, or prayer for enemies—that's a really hard thing for me. For I, I'm not talking about political things now. I mean, like someone who's hurt me. Yeah. And so entering into other people's prayers for our enemies has been really, really helpful in helping in shaping me, shaping my own heart. And maybe I don't have, maybe I'm not there yet. Maybe I don't have the emotion to actually be able to feel love for this person or feel like I wanna bless this person. But if I can take these words of prayers for your enemies and and began to pray them, kind of whether I feel like it or not, what I find is that they end up shaping my own yeah. life and heart and thoughts about this person. So yeah, I mean, I would say in general, I think um, I didn't know there was multiple ways to pray. And so it was all sort of about like trying to get God to do certain things and entering into this whole like 2000 year old like deep long tradition of prayer and even things like learning the greek orthodox they have a jesus prayer which is just lord jesus christ son of the living god have mercy on me a sinner that's it and you just pray that um like in silence multiple times i mean you can say pray it out loud but that you leave silence and sort of meditate on those words Anyway, entering into different prayer practices has ended up shaping me and has made me see prayer as more of an encounter or communion with God that forms us instead of like uh, putting... I mean, I honestly, I think there are times that I've viewed prayer and other people view prayer like putting a quarter in a machine, like a vending machine. Like it's the way we put our money in to try to get the stuff that we want out of the vending machine. Mm-hmm. And as if God's this inert kind of object that only springs to life when we pray, Yeah. but God's at work, you know, bidden or unbidden, God is present. Mm-hmm. Um. So prayer is not about making God present or not. Mm-hmm. It's about um, training our own hearts and spiritual eyes to recognize God's presence
1: mm-hmm.
2: Um. Yeah, prayer doesn't make God present. It makes it makes us present to the presence of God, right?
1: No, it's helpful, encouraging us to look into these other prayers and tradition. And I just know that, like, I grew up, we always were like singing the same sort of happy songs. But I was like, my default mode was kind of bummed out, and I'm like, I don't feel this happy. (laughs) And then I started (laughs) reading some different.
2: Yeah, (laughs) I'll just say that on the. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, totally. Horrible,
1: not, but... And so I just started, I don't know who I was. I think I was just reading some folks. Oh, I was listening to something, and he's like, Man, read the Psalms. These are the things that are these are God's songs you want to sing to him. And they're like, Why are your arrows pointing against me? It's like, whoa, I could say that, and it's like, Oh, that that's cool. So I'm gonna hit you with like sort of two case studies, if you will, of of prayer, and usually it's sort of in the one-dimensional sense, but you could you could just punt on them or you could give whatever you can. So the first one is, it's kind of in, in the notion of like theodicy, you know, and how can this good God allow suffering to happen? <clears throat> so my seven-year-old daughter and I, we prayed daily for a brother who was sick and he was slowly dying. And we prayed like earnestly, I'm not even lying, every single night for God to spare him. But eventually he died. Mm-hmm. Now, So now add to that experience for my daughter, the fact that, for example, every, every day on our, way, on our way to school, when I drop her off, we praise that the girls would be nice to her, you know, like, cause she's just kind of left out and just bums me out. And I'm like beating my chest prayer, meaning it, Lord, please. Um, but every day they don't.
2: <laughs> so to some,
1: the boy we prayed for died, and the girls at school we prayed for are still m- mean or just not concerned with her. How do I frame this constant letdown? To my daughter. You know, yeah. it's like, you know, when you're like on a computer and you're like, you, you right click the mouse, you know, you're like, oh, I need this page to open. And it doesn't work. And you're like, hey, you start, and then if it doesn't open, you're like, ah, screw it. I'm just going to walk away. And you're not even going to try to click it anymore. So I'm assuming you might say there's some, we I should like preface the prayer. I don't know. Um, regardless of that, also, where do we end up? Because we did cast these worries to the Lord. Yeah, and I know you're a mother too. So, I know you yeah. know that well.
2: Yeah, this is such a hard question. Um because my whole book in a lot of ways Prannonite is is wrestling with with the question of of theodicy of like how can God be good and powerful and bad things happen in the world? Um and there's not an easy answer to it. Like your daughter's longing for this boy not to die and for, um, you know, <laughs> to, have, to have kindness is like, from God, right? It's a legitimate and good desire. And so I feel like it's, in some ways, it's easier to write whatever my book is, 200, 172 pages on the odyssey for grownups, than to deal with this with kids. That's the hardest thing for me is when, because I've been in the same situation where I'm praying for something. Um, well, I mean, when we lost our our son, when we had the, a mis- the second miscarriage that I talk about in this book, we were praying, our girls were praying for this baby to live every day, praying for this baby to live. And my tummy was growing. They could see evidence of it. They were excited. They were drawing pictures for their brother. They were praying, praying, praying. And there was some part of me that was like, God, you have to make this baby live, or I don't know, like my girls aren't gonna believe in you. Like, right. like you're not like you're not showing up. And then the baby died, right? Um yeah. so what so with kids, I feel like that is harder, right? It's um because because when you ask Santa for something, he shows up, right? Oh, man. And so, and so bring Santa in
1: always checking off those lists, man. Yeah, <laughs> dang it.
2: Yeah. And so it's like, is God less good than Santa? Um Dude. so it's a hard it's a hard thing. Um except that um I mean there there's no other solution here at all except to pray that God would show himself to our children. They would would show his truth, his mercy to our children, which is not always going to be with life working out. Like it's not always going to be with things being good. Like in my own life, I can tell you that as a kid, some of the ways, some of the moments that Jesus was most real to me, as a teenager in particular, were when everything was falling apart, like not when things were going well. But I'm not sure without those moments if I would actually be a Christian today um, because God showed up in the middle of it. So I, I talk, this isn't exactly a great answer to like your daughter's situation. And I don't know if this is okay. I actually have not ever read from my book. Um, in any podcast I've done, but this brought to mind um something in particular that um that in the book. So can I read it? Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Can
1: you <laughs> I just read it in German,
2: by the way. Can you read it
1: in German? Is that an option?
2: I, I don't know German. <laughs> but I it said I said these days there are many who view the practice of prayer cynically. Humans have a primitive fear of death and infinite darkness. So we invent a father figure or sky fairy to take care of us. Um, So this is uh, largely, this is, I mean, when I wrote that, I had in mind like, um, what's his name? Um, Hitchens, uh, the new atheist folks. um, who And he calls God like the sky fairy. And basically it's like, um, these Christians want, a, a sky fairy, like Santa, basically to come and give them, you know, the things they want, heal the people they want, and um, you know, give them blessing, basically. And so that's that's how he understands prayer. I think that's a wrong understanding of prayer, but I think it's a makes sense because I think a lot of Christians have a yeah, similar
0: absolutely.
2: Um, and I said this. I go on to say, but here's where prayer gets interesting. The contemporary notion that prayer is nothing but an attempt to bargain with a fabricated God ignores the uncomfortable fact that Christians know and have known, for I'll add thousands of years, that um, have always known that God doesn't sit around granting our every every wish. We wish for healing and happiness and protection with full knowledge that at least for now, God has nothing near a 100% track record for granting those requests. <laughs> Every Christian on earth, if they live long enough, has a story about praying and praying and praying for someone to be healed or protected only for the person to die anyway. Mm. If we're inventing a father figure or a sky fairy who keeps us perfectly safe and fluffs our pillows each night, well, he sure isn't doing a great job at it. And. <laughs> I go on to talk about, um, in the book of common prayer in 1549, it's crazy because in the actual, this is instructions to priests, like the book of common prayer, it says, pray, come and pray for the sick, lay hands on them, anoint them, pray for them. And it gives this language of we're praying for the sick, like Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, like, like he raised Jairus's daughter, like these very like miraculous things. And we're praying for these miracles and, and it's using this language. So we're asking God, please like do this miracle heal. And then it says, when you're done with this, turn to the person and make sure that they have a will. <laughs> like, <laughs> like make sure They've done a will. So this yeah. isn't, I say this, this isn't like the skeptic. Right, this was the actual instruction of the church was to pray for miraculous healing and get the will ready at the same time. And so it's this acknowledgement, we ask for healing, but God may not bring that, right? We prepare, we ask for healing at the same moment that we're preparing for death. It's crazy, and so. So what I'm saying is that um, that in some ways, like actually, the, the there's ways that this makes God seem more real. Because if it was just about God giving us our stuff, people would have stopped believing long ago. Because there's because there's not evidence that He does, right? Yeah. Sometimes, of course, He does, and I've had miracu- I've seen miracles, so it happens. But I've also seen people die in in tragic tragic ways. So, um, and when we were praying for healing and it didn't come. So if, if it was just about, like we said, like putting the quarter in the vending machine, then, um, it, then we would have given up on God a long time ago. Cause it's it's a, he's unpredictable. Yeah. And that like, there's just, there's not, he does, as I say here, he doesn't have, he doesn't have a, like a hundred percent track record of, of healing. And so, so we always live in this tension of the scriptures, ask us to tell God our needs because he loves us, but then we have to trust the love of God enough that, um, there's this mystery that, and I'm not saying God causes death, or certainly God doesn't cause people to be like mean to your daughter, to children. But there is an allowance there, right? I mean, he could, he could, he could show up physically. He could make all those girls get strep throat and not get to go to school today, like, right? Like, there's, um, So there, I think there is, there is some. If you believe that God is all powerful. Even if he's not the cause of of sin and 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 yeah. or evil, which I don't think he is. I don't think he causes any of this. Um, he's still you if you believe he's all powerful, there's still there's still some sense where it's it's allowed in his providence, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think there is a place where we just say, My our knowledge only goes so far. Human knowledge is limited. And there's a mystery to this that I will not fully understand. I don't understand why this person died. I'm not gonna get an answer. There's a mystery. And so my whole book, throughout the whole thing, I talk about enduring this mystery. How do we endure the mystery? Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, so all this, sorry, this is a long answer, but it's a really, really important and good question. So I'm sorry, I'm giving such a long answer, but- oh, sister. We, <laughs> So we're enduring this mystery um, so how do we do that? I think a few ways. Um, one is, is there, there is the sense where in all of our prayers, we, we ask for God for what we want, but then we do say Thy will be done. We, we pray for miraculous healing and get the will ready, right? Like we, we, yeah. we do acts of, of surrendering what we want, but the only reason we can do that and actually believe God loves us is because Jesus, like God Himself, did that. God asked for, Jesus asked that this cup be taken from Him. And then He said, Thy will be done. And it wasn't taken from Him. Like yeah. He suffered. So God, He's talking this, like, how do we trust a God? that doesn't keep bad things from happening to us. And part of the crazy mystery of the Christian story is that we believe in a God that didn't keep bad things happening from God himself. Yeah. So in yeah. experiencing death or encountering death, we meet Jesus in that we meet God in that misery because, and it is misery. We don't yeah. have to be happy about it, but because God himself died and had people near him die like best friends die and um in the person of jesus i mean and when we experience rejection um and i i don't want to put this on your seven-year-old she does like or i don't know how old your daughter is but like your, did you say she's seven yeah,
0: she's um seven.
2: but in some sense she's like she's i hope she encounters jesus in that who suffered rejection right who suffered pain
0: it's so good. And,
2: and, and, but that doesn't mean she has to stoic or any of us have to be sort of stoic or like excited about this or accepting it. We we're enduring a mystery and ultimately your daughter and I, and all of us who have prayed and prayed and prayed for a good thing and it didn't happen are not going to be satisfied until Jesus makes all things new until Jesus comes and puts death to death And sets all things right. Come on,
1: come on, Maranatha.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so how do we endure in the midst of that? How do we actually stay Christians when we're praying for things that don't happen, right? How do we actually believe that there's a God? Well, part part of it, I think, is we grieve. We, like, actually mourn. Your daughter is 100% allowed to be angry and sad that the boy died, like, that's not sub-Christian. Yeah. And we enter into the grief of that. And we are honest about it. We watch. These are from my book. The right. um, We watch. We for how. what First of all, for the day when Jesus will set things right. Like yeah. everything wrong in this world should make us more, long more for Jesus to come and make things right.
1: Yeah. Yes, yes.
2: And the only way that we can know that that's not just sort of like wishful thinking, like again, like we're hoping for a sky fairy to come and set things right, is because we. there's historical evidence of of the resurrection, like this happened in real time. So because of Jesus's resurrection, there's evidence, there's like evidence in real time, that's not just a leap in the dark, that death doesn't have the final word and that cruelty doesn't have the final word. goodness and life and like the the only evidence that it's not just the strong dominating the weak and then we all die is that jesus was resurrected so we watch for um jesus to set things right with the confidence he will because of history because of the resurrection Mm -hmm. But we also watch for God at work now. Like, how is God working in this situation? How is God seeking your daughter? Like, how is God seeking me in the prayers that I have prayed where I am struggling to believe? Like, where where is God at work? Where is God moving? And where are we experiencing grace? And yeah. where are we experiencing goodness? And there's all kinds of places where we're experiencing like a sense of God's distance, a sense of desolation in the world but like where's the sweetness the consolation of god and looking for that but it but if we only focus on that without the grief it can become a little saccharine like put a happy face on it and that's it we need both like we need to deeply grieve what's wrong but also be looking out for where god is at work expectantly And then joining God in the work he's doing, like how can we be part of the work that God is doing? He's not, we're not just passive players in this, but how do we actually make the world a place where there's less suffering? And I don't, that part doesn't, I don't know if that directly deals with your daughter's question, Mm -hmm. but I do know there's been some ways, like in the loss of our son that, like I said, it was such a deep, deep blow to my children. But we've been able to, through our church, establish a a burial ground for miscarried kids that there wasn't before and help other families who are dealing with this to get counseling and walk through things that wouldn't have even been on our radar unless we walked through this. Now, does that make it worth it? No, it doesn't make it worth it. But it does mean that some kind of like beauty and goodness came out of the situation that my kids can see. They can notice that. Um, So there's not a solution. I mean, at the end of the day, like that's a really hard thing when we pray for something and pray for something and it doesn't happen. Um, But it's okay to be brokenhearted about that. And part of what the Psalms do, like you said, which is so amazing, is it doesn't just say, "Hey God, I'm sad." It like actually holds God to God's new promises and says, "Like you said that you yeah. like would you you are a God of life, but I am experiencing like <laughs> Psalm 22, right? Like." but my skin is melting like wax. Like how can both of these things be true? Yeah. And so I think we need to teach our kids to have a faith, not in a God that just is going to make everything in their life work out for them. Cause it's setting them up. When we, there's a camp that I know of a Christian camp and it just, I, I worry about it because it's just like, Jesus is wonderful and great and everything's wonderful. And if you follow him, your life will go so well. And I just think, these people are going to get in their 20s and 30s and life is going to hit them Ugh. and they're going to have no idea how yeah. to stay Christians. Yeah. And so we need to be very honest about the fact that there is deep disappointment in this world mm. and that Jesus is king and he meets us in that very place of disappointment. Mm. Um yeah. So let the
1: let the listener know that there's there's literally a tongue of fire coming out of Tiff Warren. <laughs> doesn't have a clerical collar on. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Um, That was really helpful. Uh, man, you said so many great things. But I, I, I
2: talked for so long. I started preaching, and I'm sorry.
1: No, no. This is what we want. This is what we need. It, it edified me, encouraged me, and I, I actually feel like I have a bit of a game plan, if you will, for my daughter. But I, I do want to let the reader also know that or the listener know that in your book, it's so cool. You just call a spade a spade. That's like your main jam in the book. You're just like, hey, here's some reality. Like you don't,
0: <laughs> I just
1: love just that alone. Like, oh yeah, we could say this. And then you don't really have like a right hook. Like, I mean, you end the book with like joy, but you're you're constantly just like responding to it, but not with like, this is the answer or necessarily or whatever, but you give us sort of tools. And then two other things I just wanted to say is that in the book you and you when you first responded you kind of hit this but this notion of um, god going to make all things right and that just the the fact that that hunger exists or that desire or whatever is like you know an echo of that distant land or whatever and you do that so well in the book and the other part oh when you didn't even touch on it here but the notion of like sort of common grace you know maybe god doesn't sort of heal on the spot, but you you bring up the notion of like, just things that we could be a part of that are part of that restoration. So anyways, re, yeah, read the book on that. Yeah. Um, I
2: mean, the book is the, it would be in some ways my answer, but the book's not for seven-year-olds. So that's what's hard is that, I mean, I have an eight-year-old and she asked, yeah, that's why I said, I think these questions are harder with kids because yeah. she's, like, I mean, I have a seminary degree. I am ordained. And my eight-year-old asked me like a few months ago, mom, why is God invisible? And why won't he be visible? And I was like, this is a crisis of faith for me. I've literally never thought of it. I had to go and have a conversation with my husband. He had a great answer. But I was like, babe, why is God invisible? I didn't know. <laughs> know what to say. I've never thought about this question. So I had no answer. So what I'm saying is these questions are harder with kids. Oh, um, but it's not, you what you don't do is go, shut up, kids. It's not a stupid, that's a stupid question. Or I don't know, he just is. Like those that don't do that. Like let their questions drive you to be like, oh my God, that's such a good question. Like, yeah. really, we have like a I had a 2 hour conversation with my husband about why God is invisible and learned a ton and and thought a lot about the ascension like of Jesus which I'd never I mean I have thought about but not as much as I should. So it, all of that to say it was um, it was a great conversation and oh this is what I'm saying theodicy is is hard And it's hard to talk to kids about, but we have to. And I I don't think there's an answer, a quote unquote answer, but if there is any answer, I say this in the book, the the closest thing we have to an answer is the story, the story of creation, fall, redemption, consummation. All of that is necessary is an answer, if there is an answer, to the problem of evil, the problem of suffering, what you're saying, to the problem of asking and asking and asking God for something that doesn't happen. We have to go back to the story of faith over and over. And my, the last chapter of my book is about the love of God. It's the all for your love's sake is the ending. And to me, like that's ultimately where we point our kids is mm. the love of God yeah. because it's where we point ourselves too. I mean, it's not a it's not like a Jesus Jew for children. It's the only hope we have. Mm. The only hope we have is that, is that there's a God that loves us. Mm. Um, that's the only hope in the midst of darkness and death. And so with, with the book, I do, I raise all these questions. I thank you for that. So this reality, and I don't exactly answer it, but I do think it's important. (laughs) Don't, if you're going to stop reading the book in the middle, at least read the last chapter, because some of the stuff that I raise is kind of. Um, responded to, I don't think it's fully answered because I think, again, I think there's just a mystery here that we just, like, that's not, there's a mystery here that we're not going to get to the bottom of
0: yeah. um,
2: until, like, Jesus himself is, sets things right and in, until we meet God himself and um, he's the answer we're looking for, but um, but I think that some of the res- the, those things are responded to in the last chapter on the love of God. I think at the end of the day, like that's the love of God is the hope that we have in. That's the hope your daughter has is that God knows and sees her and saw those prayers and values them and honors them Amen. in some deep and mysterious way that may not make sense right now, but that he loves her and he sees her.
1: When you wrote the book, you, you had mentioned that you didn't, you weren't writing like knowing your end thesis, as it were, you know, you, you had the diagnosis or whatever. Um, and you, so like you sort of discovered truth along the way. So having said that, was was there like one thing or one paradox or even like facet of theodicy or anything that you really couldn't get past? Um, but by the time you finished the book, like you're like you know what I, I i feel good that that the spirit has made this clear to me you know or, or just one thing that you're like oh that was a good one
2: yeah yeah a couple of things um one was what kind of what i've said about the resurrection i think um that in a new way this book has made me feel like all the eggs have to be in that basket. Like if the resurrection is real, then there's hope. There's hope for all of our questions, all of our doubts as dark as things get. There's hope for abuse and genocide. And if the resurrection isn't real, like let's go home, let's hang this up. Like let's not waste our time with, with, we really are to be pitied above all men. There's nothing good about Christianity. If it's not that, you, Christ crucified and resurrected. Like, (laughs) and maybe that's obvious. Maybe everyone listening is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's the whole thing. Like we're about the resurrection. (laughs) And I knew that. I knew that. I think I would have said that, but I don't think that my, I don't know if like my whole weight of my life was on like that, Was on the, my, the whole weight of my life was cast on the reality that Jesus loves us Mm, and mm. defeated death. Like, I don't, I don't know that it was like, I think there was part of me that was wanting it to sort of hold together, even if it wasn't maybe entirely strictly true. And it just doesn't, right? Like, it's, it just doesn't, and it's not worth it. Like, Jesus, (laughs) like, we're betting our whole, the, the whole, the whole thrust of my life is on that Jesus is resurrected from the dead and he's defeated death. And if I'm wrong, it's, I should be pitied, right? Like that's, that's, it's, it's not that and that I have, you know, three kids and following the American dream and like things are working out for me. Like it can't be like Jesus is the window dressing Of our otherwise like happy life, it's like either Jesus is resurrected from the dead and that changes everything, or this is not worth it. Like, go be an atheist. (laughs) I hope I'm not de evangelizing someone, but I'm saying this isn't, this isn't like, this isn't the side goodness in our life. Like, this is the central reality that gives everything hope, or you know. We should really just make our lives as comfortable as possible because there's nothing else. There's, there's nothing else besides our own comfort and ease. Um, that was part of it. I think the other part, so when I wrote the last chapter I spent, I went to a friend's house by myself and spent like four days kind of walking through the book, sitting in silence and prayer. And I cried a lot um, through the writing of this last chapter, and some of that was just um, the changes in my own heart. So it's hard for me. They're not like it's not like I can say like, oh, I learned this Bible verse, and that was like the answer for me. Um, But um, I follow you. But I I talk about in the book this this dream I had about my best friend. being a hit woman, a hit man, like someone, an assassin. And um, waking up in the middle of the night and realizing that's how I think about God. Like I I have known him a long time, but I think like he's out to get me kind of, or he could be out to get me like this friend in this dream. Uh, I had this dream that my best friend, sorry, for those who haven't read the book, I have this dream my best friend was an assassin and um, she like, wasn't into it, you know, necessarily. She was really nice and kind and generous, but like she occasionally killed people for her job. And um, she had a list out of who to kill. And I saw the list and I was next on it. So I was just begging her, begging her not to kill me. And then, um, and then I woke up like, like in a movie, like, you know, when you like wake up and sit up and you're in a sweat. And in that moment, I realized. uh,
1: There's lukewarm water next to you, a glass of lukewarm water.
2: (laughs) In the moment, I realized like, this is, I I, I write in the book, like in the silence of the night, I knew the dream was about how I see God. I loved him. I'd called him a friend for a long time, but I didn't trust him. He could be so lovely, but he also kept a hit list and I was on it. (laughs) <laughs> but said, this image of God as a hitman shows me my own faithlessness. How very little I knew of God. Wow. God is not a hitman who, despite appearances, harbors hidden malice. If God is in any way out to get us, if, if God is out to get us in any way, it is not to destroy us, but to love us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I talk about how my chief danger, our chief danger, I think, is not to stop believing in God but to come to believe what C.S. Lewis calls dreadful things about him, like Mm -hmm. terrible things about God. And so um, coming to see God as love Mm -hmm. and God as this constant love that doesn't change and the evidence of that being very real because it's the person of Christ um, sort of coaxed my heart. I think it changed me um, to begin to dare to believe that God's not like an assassin out to get me, like um, to believe in God's love again. So here's what I'm saying. The resurrection became much bigger to me. The love of God became much bigger to me the purity of God, that there's not a bad, evil God behind the back of Jesus. Like, we don't see Jesus in all his love, and then he's hiding this, like, darker, you know, Father. That the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is evident in the person of Jesus. And so um, there's no dark side of God that we're not seeing. And so...
1: Amen. Yeah, that's good.
2: I've come to see... If there's any, the change in my heart, I I feel, here's what I'm saying. I feel like I trust God more now than when I came to, um, when I started writing this book. Mm -hmm. Um, But the things that have become important to me are the idea of mystery, which is all throughout the book. I won't elaborate on it, but read the book. But mystery, um, resurrection, and the whole hope being that there's a God that loves us
1: amen so as we sort of close out with these final questions is one thing you um you make very clear in the book is that and um like the pain and that the pain and the sorrow were the circumstances that you know brought forth the book or the context of it there were of the quote quote like ordinary grief sort um like stub toes daughters left out at school unfulfilled desires miscarriages depleting health so on but there is also like there also exists that sort of lingering grief that is like the, a heavy fog. Maybe it's like depression or I've, I've experienced in my own life where it's, you're just kind of like bummed and you don't know why, you know? And sometimes that, that could last a long time. And I know a bunch of poor saints that are in this way and you probably do too. What, what might you say to us when our heads hit the pillows and the fog rolls in and we don't even know what, like what to pray, what, what is even like a direction we could take?
2: Yeah. Well, I do think in those moments it is incredibly helpful to have prayers and practices from the church. Like, I mean, I I just don't think in those moments you can like get yourself up to enough to joy or to belief or so things like for me, I mean, yeah. Compline became huge. So practice Compline. But even if Compline's not your thing, like read the Psalms, like meditate on the Psalms, Um, read a Psalm and sit in silence. And if you don't have a giant spiritual experience, that's okay, do it again tomorrow and do it again tomorrow. And it's not supposed to be a giant spiritual experience. Like the, um, I talk about this in my first book, Liturgy of the Ordinary, but you know, if you ask me like, what did I eat three weeks ago on Wednesday for lunch? I would have no idea. But that meal brought me today. I mean, thousands and thousands of meals that I don't remember is what brought me to today. And mm-hmm. so I think that we can think about prayer or the spiritual life, mm-hmm. like um like we're after these kind of insights or big moments, um, but most of it's not like that. it and so i some I want to encourage people who are listening like, waxing and waning in belief, having times you believe more or times you doubt more, that's normal. That's a normal part of the Christian life. Like having times where you feel like God seems really near and other times it just feels like bland, like dry toast, yeah. like for long. that's normal. That's like, that's like every Christian that yeah. has, lived. that's like the great saints that you, that's like mother Teresa had mm-hmm. like, so, um, I think we like, we need to not be alarmed by that, like, um, but I asked it anyway. So, um, so in terms of what folks can do, I think, um, entering into practices, of the church, reading the Psalms, meditating on the Psalms, going to church on Sunday, <laughs> literally like that is You're right. Yeah. Practice. Receiving communion the lord's supper or eucharist or whatever you want to call that receiving the sacraments is how we would talk about it in anglicanism um it's a thing that you don't have to like gen up emotion for you just receive the presence of christ um so um re you know (laughs) like read the bible pray go to church i'm like saying what your sunday school teacher in first grade said but it's true like it really really is true these are the i talk about them as cairns in the book when when um there's this mountain that we hiked on in in mount washington and in new hampshire and there's this giant fog that settles in the mountain and so and the weather's crazy so people have died just wandering around there so the so the people have New Hampshire have built these huge rock cairns, like so that if you see nothing else, you can see these rock. Maybe maybe you can barely see them, but you, mm. they're huge. So you can see them, these rock mounds. And if you just go from mound to mound to mound, cairn to cairn to cairn, mm. you will make it to shelter at the top of the mountain or the bottom of the mountain. Mm. You'll make it to shelter. And so I think when everything feels like a fog, what you do is you you follow the cairns the church has given us, which is the prayers that we receive from the church. Pray the Lord's prayer, right? Sit in silence. It's, it's the scriptures and it's the practices of the church, like Eucharist, like worshiping together and, and gathered worship on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So that's the main thing I would say. Those are the overall main things I would say. So I'm going to, I'm going to have like a little addendum to that, but I don't want my addendum to be like, to swamp those things. Cause those are the, those are like the big things. But I'd also say sometimes I'm, I don't even know if this is helpful, but because I also struggle with just feeling, I, I can struggle with depression and feeling bummed and all of that. And I'm not talking about like, I mean, there's like actual depression. You need to go talk to a counselor, right, right. medicine. I'm just talking about you're like being bummed out and yeah. having so sometimes I think we can make these big spiritual problems when it's like we we make we make physical stuff into metaphysical stuff. So sometimes you just need to get more sleep and like go on a run or do exercise and like like you know take a shower, clean out your car, go see a friend, have coffee, have something healthy, eat some like, I don't know, have a kombucha um and like rest like you need to rest and you need to like take a day off work so sometimes i actually think these other things are like bigger issues but if you're just sort of like man i'm so bummed we can like spiritualize that in a way that's like dude you probably just need to like exercise a little more so um so i also think there's that like take care of your your body Mm -hmm. And I want to say, those are not, like, that's a spiritual practice, right? Yeah, we are deeply, deeply embodied beings, so that's not sub-Christian or sub-spiritual. That is Christian, is learning how to be a creature that right. does things like rest and sleep and exercises and eats good food and spends time with friends, you know, go on walks in the woods, that kind of thing.
1: Sister, it's been so good, like, just last question for you like a lot of people resonate with you Uh, like you won an award because i think people are like oh yeah this is like kind of our language and you're and you're a good writer too we appreciate just you know well done on that one sister um but can you perhaps like suggest any helpful like resources or guilds or books or communities or songs it doesn't have to like it could be whatever subject but what's some good stuff out there that listeners would would do well to avail themselves to Besides following you on Twitter at Tish underscore H underscore Warren, in addition to that, yeah,
2: this is hard for me. Partly because I have a lot of friends that are writers, so now I feel like, oh no, I have to list every single friend that has that is a writer. Oh no, I'm going to offend someone. Here's some stuff. I'll just say some. I guess so you're just asking me like what's some good stuff in the world? What's
1: what's some good stuff out there like Death to the World? (laughs) (laughs) Like
2: I told you about the the,
1: yes. So
2: (laughs) that's an orthodox monk punk rock zine called Death to the World. I was telling telling about earlier. But um okay, so some things that are good. Well, um all right, one of my very best friends in the world is named Esau Macaulay. He wrote a book called Reading While Black, which is very, very helpful to think about race. Um, That's just something that is a big issue right now. Um, I'm also reading Jamar Tisby's How to Fight Racism. Really great book so far, an important book. Um, But Esau's like one of my best friends, so I'm going to recommend this stuff. I'd also, I'm part of something called the Pelican Project, uh, which is a group of women that are committed to certain to, we're committed to certain doctrinal commitments together, but we're also committed to certain, like ethical commitments, like treating other people and certain treating our people we disagree with with kindness. And um, so, any so if you go to the Pelican Project page, there's like you'll you'll see all these writers, these female writers, um, and uh, I, they're thoughtful women. Um, so that is great. Um, I'm connected to something called the Rabbit Room, which is just full of great like poetry and fiction and good re- like. So you can go to that website. Um, there's also, I mean, I don't actually know these people at all, really. I've like met them briefly, so this isn't like a friend recommendation. But there's something called um, Porter's Gate that puts out music. Um, and it's really thoughtful, like interesting, good music um, around, um, like, like they, they did one on work and faith and it's like all these different, it's, it's, it's mostly for congregations, like congregational singing, yeah. but it's around like work and faith. And then they just did one on like justice and faith. So it's music by all different musicians on certain subjects that matter in the church to help the church worship together. It's called Porter's Gate, and it's great. So I would look that up. Um, Oh, Lord, I mean, check out like Anglicanism, <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I mean, anglicanpastor.com is a, is a really cool site that um, it's called Anglican Compass. They just changed it. But if you want to learn a little more about Anglicanism, it's like an entry point. It's like, a, it's kind of for people that don't know, like, yeah. like I don't know much about Anglicanism, but i just want to learn. That's a good place. Um, What are some other like really beautiful things happening? What's the best,
1: um, what's the uh, tastiest like scotch or coffee that has wet your whistle? Any good stuff out there?
2: Um, So there's a coffee out of Austin called Praxis that's really good and I like it a lot. Um, I'm not, I don't know enough about scotch and stuff. I mean, I drink bourbon and but my husband is kind of the one that like knows about that um here's yeah he knows more about that I just drink kind of whatever he tells me to um I will say I like um here's a good combination get 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 a spicy red wine and have it with hot, with dark chocolate and mangoes, and will, <laughs> <your world. laughs> you know, that combination. It's amazing. That's a tip. And um, uh, I was gonna say one more thing. Oh, well, just cause we were talking about this earlier. I feel like there's people, maybe this isn't true on the West coast and Hawaii, but I think there's a lot of people in America that don't know about Damien Gerardo. And that's a sad thing Since we were talking about, before you start the podcast, we were talking about how much we love him. And I do love him so, so much. So, and I really, really think people need to be reading more poetry. I think it is transformative. I think with all of our Twitter and everything, we're forgetting just like the beauty and power of words. So people need to read like Malcolm Gweet. People need to read Scott Cairns. These are like modern poets. People need to read um, Gerard Manley Hopkins. Like we just need more poetry. We need to read Wendell Berry's Sabbath poems. Like we just need poetry right now, a lot more poetry.
1: We're gonna link all these up. These are, this is a fire list. We've been talking with Tish Harrison Warren And the book is Prayer in the Night for Those Who Work or Watch or Weep, Inner Inner Varsity Press 2021. Um, Like we said, we're giving away two copies. So leave a review, um, good or bad, on like whatever, however you're listening to this. And let us know on Instagram or Facebook. We'll announce it in a week. You can follow Tish at Tish underscore H underscore warren w-a-r-r-e-n and you can peruse her website at tish harrison warren.com sister you gave us a lot of time that was pretty good i appreciate the pointing us to the right things today thank you
2: yeah thank you
1: we came for salvation we came for family We came for all that's good, that's how we'll walk away. We came to break the bad, we came to cheer the sad, we came to lead.